add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Tuesday. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk with my fake Los Angeles skyline behind me. Uh, anyway, you get me pretty raw because I hardly have makeup on. I don't I wear jewelry. I'm wearing like, you know, the comfy tank dress uh, when I'm on. And it's good to have you with us today. So much going on. So much to talk about. We have an extended version of Ripped. I'm going to sneeze. Thank you. How's that for live uh, live broadcasting, right? You don't see that on TV, and you normally don't hear that on radio. But you're not just here on radio. You listen to us on radio, on stream, on podcast, and live. Hello, visually on Periscope via Twitter, on YouTube Live and Facebook Live. Good to have you with us today. Good afternoon and welcome or welcome back. So we have a lot going on. Uh, we uh, have some great guests joining us later in the hour. But we are going to do an extended version of ripped from the headlines today. So uh, let's start off and see what is ripped or hear what is ripped from the headlines uh, today. Well, sadly, the coronavirus has now killed 200,000 Americans, and that's according to data from the Johns Hopkins Institute. Now, whatever context you try to put this in, that is a catastrophic number of historic proportions. 200,000. It is also another reminder of America's horrific failure to contain this virus. I mean, the coronavirus has killed a bigger share of the American population than it has in almost any other Western or wealthy nation in the world. Uh, The death toll here is equivalent to roughly uh, 65 September 11th attacks. And if you remember how outraged we were on September 11th, 65 of those attacks it would be equivalent to, or three times more Americans have died from COVID than died in the Vietnam War. And by the way, in only a fraction of the time. Uh, this crisis has hit people of color especially hard. Uh, Black and Latino Americans are dying at about three times the rate of Caucasian Americans. They also have suffered far more from the economic fallout, and that has fallen largely on lower wage service industry workers, again, not the rich folks at the top. And the deaths keep coming. I mean, we're averaging roughly 830 per day, even as the country increasingly sees the pandemic as background noise, as live sports are resuming, schools are reopening, and interest about the pandemic and the news is waning, and by the way, among voters as well. 
But the percentage of infected people who ultimately die from coronavirus is lower now. That is good news than it was when the outbreak's earliest months. That's partly because doctors got a better uh, got better at treating the virus. They know more about it now than they did. Also, because outbreaks are occurring now with younger and lower risk groups like those uh, millennials and those spring break party crowd goers that feel they're invincible but can still end up in the ICU and die, just not at the rates of older uh, Americans uh, or older humans. Overall, cases are on a downward trajectory right now here in California, where I am as well. Hopefully my kids will go back to school soon because I'm going crazy, uh, following an enormous spike over the summer. But the United States has never really managed to get the virus firmly under control. Cases and deaths could get worse again as the weather gets colder and people move indoors and the onset of flu season could make treatment more difficult. Let's rip another. No? Okay, well, we'll rip another without the ripped sound. Uh, And hopefully we can have this sound because the president yesterday uh, said, quote, speaking of the COVID-19 virus, it affects virtually nobody. That's what he said of the coronavirus that I just told you has now killed 200,000 Americans and sadly still counting. Take a listen. The disease, we didn't know it. Now we know it. It affects elderly people, elderly people with heart problems and other problems. If they have other problems, that's what it really affects. That's it. You know, in some states, thousands of people, nobody young, below the age of 18, like nobody. They have a strong immune system. Who knows? You look at you. Take your hat off to the young because they have a hell of an immune system. But it affects virtually nobody. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. By the way, open your schools. Everybody open your schools. Yeah, so says Dr. Trump, who attended no medical school ever. Uh, Let's rip another. The United States Postal Service has planned to distribute 650 million face coverings for the Trump administration back in April. They wanted to do this to help curb the spread of the coronavirus. That is according to newly obtained internal documents that were reviewed first by the media outlet CNN. But those plans were scrapped by the White House because it didn't want to spark concern or panic among Americans. You know what? Let us get sick and die instead of making us panic by getting a face mask in the mail, which some idiots aren't going to wear anyway, right? Uh, That's what the Washington Post was told by senior uh, administration officials, quote, there was concern from some in the White House Domestic Policy Council uh, and the office of the vice president that households receiving masks might create concern or panic. That's what one administration official told the Post. The documents obtained by the Transparency Group American Oversight showed the Post Service was doing this in partnership with the White House Corona Task Force, the Department of Health and Human Services, and a consortium of textile manufacturers. USPS was planning to ship the mask, like I said, in April, was going to prioritize, prioritize areas which HHS identified as experiencing higher transmission rates of COVID-19. That's according to a draft release from the United States Postal Service itself. Louisiana's Orleans and Jefferson's parishes were going to be sent masks first, by the way, heavily African-American districts, uh, followed by King County, Washington, Wayne County, Michigan, and New York, also very diverse with African-American and Latino populations, like I said, hit many times more uh, than whites. A separate draft media response statement said the package would include, quote, five reusable face cloths that could be used up to 15 times each. The plan was scrapped, like I says, but said, but it provides a fresh look at how the White House was racing to fight the pandemic 
as it took hold in the United States, adds to a growing list of steps the administration did not take earlier this year that may have helped slow the rapid spread of this virus, COVID-19. The Washington Post noted at the time that the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said, quote, they had been working on coronavirus guidance that recommended face coverings. That's a reversal of its previous position in the face of mounting evidence that people could spread the coronavirus without experiencing symptoms. Now, the Postal Service will utilize its unrivaled distribution network to deliver the face coverings. Letter carriers, rural carriers, and others will deliver one pack of five face, five face coverings to each residential delivery point and P.O. box. That's what it read in the draft that was released by the USPS. They went on to say the packs will arrive labeled with a generic Postal Service barcode, not a specific address, and will include HHS instructions on proper use of the masks. So the Washington Post said in place of the planned effort to widely distribute masks, quote, HHS created Project America Strong, a $675 million effort to distribute reusable cotton face masks to critical infrastructure sectors, companies, healthcare facilities, and faith-based and community organizations across the nation. Now, a spokesman for the department told the newspaper that, quote, about 600 million of the 650 million masks ordered have been distributed, and that was 125 million set aside for schools. I don't know anybody who got one. Do you? Let's rip another. The Pentagon spent $1 billion originally intended for the COVID-19 response on military gadgets. Let me repeat that. The Pentagon spent $1 billion originally intended for the COVID-19 response on military gadgets. What? The Washington Post has reported the money would have reportedly provided more N95 masks to hospitals and contributed to the $6 billion needed to distribute a future COVID-19 vaccine. But instead... The Pentagon used the money for drones, satellites, army uniform fabric, aircraft parts, and contracts with Rolls-Royce and ArcelorMittal. We need to always remember that economic security and national security are very tightly interrelated, and our industrial base is really the nexus of the two. That's what Ellen Lohr, the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment, said. Now, the virus, remind you for a third time today, has killed more than 200,000 Americans. CDC Director Robert Redfield said that more funding for the pandemic is desperately needed. And by the way, folks, some of those people reusing masks are doctors and nurses who are taking care of you, me, our children, our parents, our grandparents, our neighbors, our friends, and others on our We Love Them list. Let's rip another. The share of Americans eager to try a first-generation coronavirus vaccine dropped significantly in the latest installment of the Axios-Ipsos Coronavirus Index, as President Trump has hyped suggestions that one could be ready before the election. As the United States reaches that milestone of 200K deaths, this underscores the risk of politicizing the virus and its treatments. The trend is taking place among Republicans as well as Democrats, and it's another warning of the potential difficulties health authorities will face in convincing enough Americans that a vaccine is safe and effective. Six in 10 Americans now say they don't want to take a COVID-19 vaccine as soon as it's available. That, by the way, is up 53% from the end of August. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's the first half of Rip from the Headlines. We're taking a break back after this. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com.
We're back. I'm Rosalie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Hope you can hear me. Hope you can see me. And glad that you're joining us uh, on this Tuesday. Let's continue with our second segment of Rip from the Headlines this afternoon. And thank you again for being with us. Want to register to vote? Well, today is a good day to do it, folks. Today is National Voter Registration Day. It was a day created back in 2012. It's dedicated to enabling broad awareness of voter registration opportunities for thousands of Americans with the help of an online campaign and volunteers who hit the streets in a coordinated event. That's according to the website for National Voter Registration Day. The day is a massive effort to register voters before the upcoming elections in the fall. Facebook, which pledged to register 4 million voters ahead of the November election says it's more than halfway to its goal, logging two and a half million registrations from Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger's users. Also, Twitter users should be aware that the social media company is rolling out its biggest push yet to encourage more Americans to cast their ballots in the November election uh, uh, as well, and that's today. All you have to do is go to IWillVote.com to register. Go to IWillVote.com to register today. Check your registration status and find out how to vote, whether you're going to vote by mail or in person. Either way, by mail or in person, check your registration status. Some people think they're registered. My husband thought he wasn't. He wasn't. Go to IWillVote.com today. We'll be posting that if we, Marky Mark, if we already posted it on our social media sites? If not, we will be, right? posting that today, that info today. Thanks, Marky Mark. Let's rip another. And because today is National Voter Registration Day, we have a president who used to be in the White House who doesn't want us to vote twice and does want everyone to vote and every vote to be counted. And that's former President Barack Obama. Take a listen to him encouraging our nation to vote on this National Voter Registration Day. What's at stake in this election is much bigger than Joe or the man he's running to replace. What's at stake is whether or not our democracy endures. And the folks in power are hoping that you will stay home. They're hoping you get cynical. They're trying to convince you that your vote doesn't matter. It's how they win. Don't let them. Make a plan for how and when you are going to vote. Go to IWillVote.com to get registered, and learn the options in your state. And if you can, vote early, in person or by mail. Now's the time to safeguard this democracy and fight for what we believe in. And all you've got to do is make sure your voice is heard. You heard the man there. Let's rip another. A top-secret CIA assessment has reportedly concluded that Russian President Vladimir Putin is probably directing a disinformation campaign designed to damage Joe Biden, big surprise, ahead of the 2020 U.S. election. They have cited two unnamed sources who reviewed the assessment. The Washington Post reported that the first line of the document states, quote, We assess that President Vladimir Putin and the senior most Russian officials are aware of and probably directing Russia's influence operations aimed at denigrating the former U.S. vice president, supporting the U.S. president and fueling public discord ahead of the U.S. election in November. The highly classified report was published internally, and that was at the end of August this summer. It builds upon intelligence gathered by both the FBI and the NSA. Now, the Post reports that the document also warns that Ukrainian lawmaker Andriy Durkash, 
who has been working publicly with Rudy Giuliani, the lawyer for the president and has been now for several months, um, has been spreading disparaging information about Joe Biden inside the United States through his long list of influential contacts. President Trump last week attacked FBI Director Christopher Wray after he testified to Congress that the Bureau saw Russian interference in the election, which, by the way, you don't need a degree from Harvard to figure out. Let's rip another. Billionaire Michael Bloomberg has raised over $16 million to help felons pay outstanding fines and fees so they can regain their voting rights in the state of Florida. Just to let you know, the majority of those uh, individuals who were convicted felons have served their time and are now out and are legally in the state of Florida able to vote. But then Ron DeSantis wanted to make it because he's a Republican and he's got his nose up Trump's buttocks so much. Uh, that he he wanted to make it more difficult because the majority, overwhelming majority of this voting bloc votes Democrat. Uh, this is a, a 2018 state constitutional amendment in the state of Florida that allowed felons who have completed their sentences to regain their right to vote. By the way, as long if you've completed your sentence and you're released, you're given another chance. Maybe you're rehabilitated. Maybe you're not. But while you're out, you're free. You've paid your debt to society, right? So they've completed their sentences. They can regain their right to vote. But the caveat is, so long as they've also backpaid any outstanding fines, fees, or restitution. Now, Bloomberg's fundraising, in addition to $5 million from the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, has now paid off monetary obligations for 32,000 of those former felons in the state of Florida just before um, Election Day. Voters who were already registered to vote, Black or Latino, and had fines and fees of less than 1500 were eligible for the payback initiative. Uh, the right to vote is fundamental to our democracy. And no American should be denied that right. That's what Michael Bloomberg said via his spokesperson. Spokesperson, uh, excuse me. He said, "Quote: Working together with the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, we are determined to end disenfranchisement and the discrimination that has always driven it." It kills me. Republicans always say they're an inclusive party, but if you just look at the demographics of those convicts in in, in Florida, it's disproportionately black, and and that's a segment of the population that again and again, it, it, it's just screwed when it comes to voting. I, I mean, we saw what happened in Georgia and we see what happens all the time. It's, it, it's awful and, and, and absolutely uh, ridiculous. Uh, let's rip another. And uh, one more before we head to break and go to uh, our guest. Republicans plan to ask the Supreme Court to review a major Pennsylvania state court ruling that extended the due date for mail-in ballots in that state, which is a key battleground state. And that tees up the first test for the Supreme Court since the death of its liberal leader, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a.k.a. the notorious RBG. The GOP legal strategy, which is revealed in a pair of court documents filed overnight and this morning, has not been previously reported. Now, the development comes after the Pennsylvania Supreme Court dealt Republicans a major blow last week. It definitely was a Democratic win, a bitterly partisan election lawsuit uh, that could help determine whether President Trump or Democratic nominee Joe Biden takes Pennsylvania, the Keystone State. Uh, if you remember, President Trump won it in 2016, but only by a, a, a bare margin, 44,000 votes. Uh, the expected petition to the Supreme Court comes just days after the death of Justice Ginsburg from cancer last Friday. Uh, that has now injected further uncertainty into a chaotic 2020 presidential contest that's on track to be the most intensely litigated election cycle in the history of our nation. 
Uh, Rick Hasen, who's an election law expert and law professor at the University of California, said, quote, this could be a big first test for the post-RBG Supreme Court and where it will stand on election issues. There's little reason to believe that the conservative-liberal divide will disappear with Justice Ginsburg's death. The decision by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court last week to relax the state's mail voting deadline was seen as a win for Democrats, like I said, because Biden voters are more likely than Trump supporters to vote by mail in November. Under the ruling, Pennsylvania must accept ballots postmarked by Election Day as long as they arrive within 72 hours. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets have with us uh, today uh, a wonderful guest who has sat in for me um, as uh, a host here on my radio show. Um, Before we go to her, I I just want to briefly say I have an article coming out on foxnews.com. I'm supposed to be editing it now. I haven't heard anything about um, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, what her passing uh, meant to me, and how I related to her being somebody of Jewish descent, being a working mom, being a woman who once considered uh, being an attorney. Um, and really, if you haven't seen the documentary or the movie and you you haven't just, you know, Googled how much she has done, uh, if, if you're a woman and, uh, you can by yourself fill out applications for certain things, um, it's probably Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That is the reason for that. Um, I've also posted a lot of this stuff on my social media sites. I hope you'll check that out. We'll be sharing that article as well. Uh, but my condolences, uh, because I, I didn't, I think I said it on TV, but, but not here. Uh, to the Ginsburg family, um, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg will be the first woman, appropriately enough, uh, to lie uh, in state later this week. Joining us is Anisha Singh. She is Director of Judiciary and Democracy Affairs at the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. She also led and spoke at and emceed dozens of rallies and protests during the fight against the then nominee for the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, including a momentous march from the Supreme Court to the Senate offices for bird dogging efforts. She worked on the Supreme Court fights also opposing the nomination of Neil Gorsuch and in supporting the nomination of Merrick Garland, as many of you remember him. Additionally, she's guest hosted the program many times. She did it in 2018 when she worked for Generation Progress. She did a terrific job. We have to have her back and do it again. Her handle on Twitter, please follow her there, is at Anisha underscore S113. That's A-N-I-S-H-A, and that's underscore S as in Sam, 113. Anisha, thank you for joining us and for your patience with that long intro. Good afternoon and welcome. Thank you, Leslie. It's always a, a pleasure to be on the show. I think one of the things that I wrote in my column is that when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I started to think God was a Republican. And uh, and a man, Uh, uh, because President Trump certainly and sadly uh, won a crucial victory in the battle to fill the Supreme Court vacancy that's been caused now by uh, the death and the absence of Justice Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg. Uh, Senate Republicans are rapidly trying to confirm a yet to be named nominee, uh, possibly even before uh, the November uh, election. Now, Right now, we've heard from Mitt Romney is uh, the only two so far are women. Susan Collins is probably going to lose her bid for re-election in the Senate in Maine. Lisa Murkowski, who's in a tight, uh, tight, ra- uh, tight race, uh, which is interesting in in the Senate in, in Alaska. Um, and uh, we, you know, we heard uh, we haven't heard from uh, have we heard from Tom Tillis? Yeah, Tom Tillis said he would support it. Right, um, support the vacancy. Cory Gardner, surprisingly, I think he, uh, yeah, yeah, Murkowski's not running. I'm sorry, it's the other senator in the state of Alaska with a tight race. Apologies. Thank you, Mark. 
Um, but uh, Tillis um, and uh, T- Tillis, has he said he was going, Mark? I can't keep track. Corey Gardner said he would. Yeah. T- uh, Tom Tillis has said, yeah, I'm on board. Lindsey Graham said, use my words. Marco Rubio, Mitch McConnell. We've seen all these the hip- hypocrites, true hypocrites uh, speak in one way and out of the other side of their mouth since 2016. Now in 2024 years later, no big surprise, I guess. Uh, being politicians in the GOP. Um, and Cory Gardner really put a nail in his own coffin. Uh, I mean, he will you know, lose his campaign. The state of Colorado is overwhelmingly uh, pro-choice. Uh, so many things I want to ask you. First of all, the nation is overwhelmingly pro-choice and in support of Roe v. Wade, especially women, an area where Trump is hurting and has seen an exodus, if you will, of voters. Am I correct in that? Yeah, 77% of people want to see Roe as law. They don't want to see it overturned. And so the people are on our side, right? And I just to take a step back for a second, how frustrating um, is it that in a moment when we should be able to mourn and be able to just process and to just honor uh, RBG's legacy, you know, Senate Republicans and this administration have not hesitated at all to make this a partisan fight. Um, the nominee hasn't even been announced yet and shouldn't be announced. You know, RBG's services haven't even happened yet. And they're, they're talking about uh, the nomination. They're already coming out saying that they're going to support a vote. Um, and so it's absolutely uh, unacceptable the way they have handled this and really just speaks to their own their own character in this moment. Speaking of somebody who showed his true character. Senator Mitch Romney, when he ran for Senate against a Kennedy and lost to Massachusetts, said he was pro-choice. When he ran for governor and won in the state of Massachusetts, my home state, by the way, he said he was pro-choice. When he ran for president and lost, he said he was pro-life. When he ran for Senate in Utah and won, said he was pro-life. And now says, quote, I intend to follow the Constitution and precedent and considering the president's nominee, Uh, joining other centrist Republicans, quote, if the nominee reaches the Senate floor, I intend to vote based upon their qualifications. I watched an interview, uh, many reporters uh, get to him and ask about 2016 and Merrick Garland and now. And, And he said that precedent was followed. He said that they followed the Constitution. And I'm going, huh? Can you speak to that? I mean, so that people understand precedent or lack of in 2016 versus now and Constitution. Look, if 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 they had put him forward and not nominated him, that 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 itself is a whole different ballgame that wasn't even allowed to happen in 2016. Now, I'm sorry, I, I felt Mitch McConnell was just putting a middle finger up to Barack Obama and doing what he said, which is he would block everything that Barack Obama tried to do. Yeah, we know Mitch McConnell's. Uh, you know, he's not sticking to his own precedent, and and they're not ashamed of that. Look, here's what we know: today, 200,000 uh, people are now dead from COVID. And yet we have not seen any comprehensive COVID relief. We have not seen them uh, address the issue at hand. We've seen uh, them trying to gut the Affordable Care Act. We're seeing them, um, you know, gutting Title 10, making it harder for people to get access to reproductive health care. Um, time and time again, they have shown us, you know, their priorities and, and lack thereof in some cases. And, and that health care and reproductive rights and reproductive health care and abortion access are all on the line. And so that's their priority. They want to make sure that they uphold Trump's litmus test, which is making sure that the court overturns Roe and that he appoints judges and justices that do so. And just, you know, for for added color, you know, we've already seen 200 plus lower court nominees be confirmed over the last three and a half years, who are also many of which are anti, you know, 
you know, against reproductive health care, uh, against abortion access. And so um, we, we've seen this pattern for some time. So it's no surprise that once again, they are prioritizing taking away health care, taking away abortion access over uh, assuring people have health care and are, and are safe and, and protected in this moment of a pandemic. I have so many questions based on what you just said. I was just sitting here jotting all of them. Um, first of all, what is the likelihood, because it is difficult to overturn a constitutional amendment, right, or to amend the, the, the Constitution and decision by the Supreme Court. What is the likelihood of overturning the 1973 ruling with Roe v. Wade making abortion legal uh, throughout this nation? Look, there are 17 cases right now, one step away from the Supreme Court that could determine the access, the likelihood or access to abortion generally, including a 20 week ban. Um, and we also know that in 2019, for example, we had 300 different state based uh, uh, legislation that were also attempting to take away abortion access, including abortion bans. Um, and so all of these end up going up the, the, the chain and get challenged in the courts, the lower courts, and then the Supreme Court. Um, so this is real. This threat is real. Um, and they could very easily overturn Roe uh, bit by bit, piece by piece, as soon as this year, if they, if they make this happen. So that's why we at Planned Parenthood are committed uh, to putting everything we have into this fight, every last bit we can, because it is so important to us and to our patients uh, and those who are supporters and, and people across this country that we protect reproductive health care and, and abortion access in this country. Absolutely. Roe v. Wade is obviously on a federal level. Legally, could a state make abortion legal? And I say that because there is this ignorance among pro-life, uh, you know, or I don't want to say pro-life, pro, pro uh, anti-Pro v. Wade individuals. I think they believe if there's no Roe v. Wade, there's no abortion. And that's not true. I mean, the only way to prevent abortion is to prevent a pregnancy, right? So could the states... Um, do that? And if so, people could flock to that state, like where I am here in very liberal blue California. So there's something about that, though, right? The more the more erroneous the restrictions, uh, the less likely people will be able to access a safe legal abortion. And, and that's especially important to lift up when we're talking about black and brown communities who have faced centuries of systematic discrimination. So I'm talking about mandatory delays and counseling for patients, financial barriers um, that make abortion a right only a name, right, for patients across the country. Sometimes, again, and so that's childcare, taking time off work, traveling to those neighboring states, which takes money and time as well, and, and a freedom that not everyone has. Um, so it's so, it's, you know, it's terrifying for us to think about, but but that is a real reality for a lot of folks across the country. Mm -hmm. And just last year, 25 abortion bans were enacted in a dozen states. So even in the states, we're seeing that, including Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, um, places where we have larger than ever uh, average uh, black populations. Right. And then it doesn't, like I said, overturning Roe v. Wade isn't going to prevent fetuses from being aborted. It, it is just going to uh, prevent perhaps them happening uh, in that state. In other words, it's not as it's not the miracle uh, that uh, anti-choice pro uh, anti-Roe v. Wade individuals seek. We're going to be right back with our guest. Uh, we'll be back with you as well. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with Anisha Singh, Director of Judiciary and Democrat Democracy Affairs at the Planned Parenthood Action Fund in a moment. 
We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Anisha Singh, Director of Judiciary and Democracy Affairs of the Planned Parenthood Action Fund, is our guest. Please follow her on Twitter at Anisha underscore S113. Anisha, thank you for holding um, uh, welcome back. What about the claims that Republicans have made um, and, and regarding you need a full court, especially during a pandemic where there's going to be so many more mail-in ballots, the election might be close, it may not be determined the night of the election or even the morning after, it could go to court and therefore you need to have a full nine-seat court uh, in order to make uh, such decisions. Uh, your, your thoughts on that? We've seen the court function with a 4-4 uh, split with eight justices before. In fact, they made sure of that in 2016. Um, so we know that that's not true. And it's all just a distraction from what we know is their end goal, which is um, they want to make sure that they can solidify uh, a, a court that will overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, that will dismantle voting rights. And so much of that, you know, is really the opposite of what RBG was doing. She was the dissent in the Shelby case on gutting voting rights act. She was a dissent in gender discrimination cases across the board. You know, Ginsburg knew that Roe was just the floor, not the ceiling when it came to abortion rights. So all of these um, pieces to RBG's legacy are really just at stake here and, and what we're fighting for because they, you know, are, are keen uh, on dismantling those rights. There, there is some talk, and I'm sure that you know and have heard, um, that the Constitution doesn't limit the Supreme Court to nine judges. And there is talk that if Joe Biden were elected president, that he could expand that court, obviously would have to be an, uh, an uneven number, to uh, 11 uh, what does the Constitution say about that? What is the likelihood of that or how difficult would that be uh, for a president to do? Because if Joe Biden could do it, obviously Donald Trump could do it as well. Yeah, anything is possible and nothing is off the table. You know, I'll say that. Um, right now, we at Planned Parenthood, we're just, we're just focused on this fight. We want to make sure that we are upholding RBG's legacy and her final wish and protecting this particular seat because this seat belongs to the people. It does not belong to Donald Trump. It does not belong to Senate Republicans. Uh, the people should decide. So we are focused completely on this seat and we will have that conversation if we need to. But having any other conversation takes away from, uh, you know, what we need to be focus on, focusing on right now, and that's protecting the seat. Somebody asked me yesterday, a friend of mine, who came over for a glass of wine because we were both stressed and it was only Monday uh, in the week. And um, she asked me, she said, um, oh, God, what, what was her quote? Oh, yeah. She said, when we were kids, didn't you think that the court, like Lady Justice, was blind? and balanced in a sense that there was no left-leaning, there was no right-leaning. Has the court, the Supreme Court, become more political in, in modern times, or has it always been like this, we just weren't taught that in school? There has been a dismantling of process that has happened by Senate Republicans that have slowly but surely uh, started to politicize the courts, and that's been the game. Um, so over the last few years and the decades, we have seen conservatives really taking on how they can reshape the courts 
And so we've seen that court packing start to happen, especially under the Trump administration. Again, I mentioned this earlier, 200 plus uh, mm. judges have been put, but it's important to understand who those judges are. They're all ultra conservative, right? So many of them have such extremist views. Um, and, and some of them have been deemed unqualified by the American Bar Association. Some of them are so young, they've never uh, stood in trial. And yet we have them being nominated. And it's not because of their record, especially for those who are unqualified. It's because of their personal views. And we've seen this time and time again. Um, and so they have been intentional with making our courts more partisan uh, and adding their own viewpoints there because they know that the issues that are important to everyday Americans are not uh, popular you know, with their agenda. Their agenda is not popular for them. And so they're just making sure that the courts will uphold their agenda instead. How like how common is it for a Senate that's a majority of the same party of the president? For example, right now, Republicans have a majority in the Senate and the president is a Republican. How likely is for is it for a Senate of the same party of uh, the, the, the president to not confirm the nominee that he puts forth? Here's we've never been in the situation before. We've never been in a pandemic before in an election year while an, an, an election is going going on. Right. Like the election is not November 3rd, which, by the way, is my first. So we should have a whole conversation about that. But the election is happening right now. Um, it's, it's going on. And yet uh, with the pandemic again, with everything that's happening, systematic racism, uh, we've just never been in the situation before. So this is this is unprecedented. And this is a unique circumstance where that should be the case, that for the sake of the country, for the sake of prioritizing the people of this country, and for the sake of uh, waiting to see what the people want this election, um, we should be having that uh, be the case here. Uh, the passing of Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, it, it, it's not just Roe v. Wade, though, is it, right? I mean, it's the future of women's reproductive rights, but it's also the future of the Affordable Care Act, which millions of people uh, need uh, for health insurance and to get proper uh, health care now. Yeah, can, can you speak to the substantial changes uh, in not only you've touched upon in the women's reproductive rights area, but uh, in, in, the, in that arena, but uh, Affordable Care Act as well, Obamacare? Yeah, so the ACA oral arguments are supposed to happen the week after the election. Um, and so we know that that's very much on the table at the moment in front of the court. Um, so the Affordable Care Act uh, being repealed is is eminent. Um, and it's not just health care, it's voting rights. We're talking about an election year. Um, but RBG was known for her dissent in the Shelby case Um and, and yet we know that the Republicans have been using voter suppression tactics and have not been funding the USPS. And we've been seeing the lack of election reform money that is being put into COVID relief packages that are necessary for vote by mail and um, expanding in-person voting safety measures, et cetera. Um, and so we know what the agenda there is. And it, and it is, it is uh, you know, something to be wary of when we're thinking about beyond reproductive health care, like you said, and health care generally. Uh, voting rights is also very much at stake. Immigrant rights, um, LGBTQ rights, it's every Correct. community. And one thing I always say, and this is why I've been working in the court space for as long as I have, every single issue we all care about every single one ends up before the court. So it's all on the line here. No, absolutely. Before Roe v. Wade, prior to 1973, um, I, I want you to speak to something that Justice Ginsburg argued in, in a ruling in 2016 when she said that when safe and legal options for abortions are limited, women may resort to more dangerous practices 
conducted by unlicensed practitioners posing a greater risk to the health and safety. I want to tell something I've never, ever, ever told anybody in the public. Okay. Uh, one of my aunts, Mitzi, who was the uh, eldest of, he was my, my grandfather's sister on my father's side, Jewish. She fell in love with a married man who said he was going to leave his wife. They had met at the synagogue. Uh, they had sex. She became pregnant. He said, not going to leave the wife. And at those times, uh, unwed pregnancies weren't heard of. Uh, this is not easy to say, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of judgment. But my great-grandmother aborted that fetus on the kitchen table with unsterilized kitchen tools. My aunt Mitzi was never able to have children as a result. And uh, she went a bit cuckoo uh, throughout her life uh, as a result. Now, my great-grandmother, my Aunt Mitzi, all gone. They've passed. Nobody can find them online and attack them. I'm sure people will attack me. Uh, but the reason I say that is uh, I, I know, and she lived, which was amazing, developed a terrible infection but lived. Um, can, can you speak to that? Because, again, no Roe v. Wade doesn't mean no abortions. It just means not a safe and legal option for abortion in this nation. And, 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 you know, we always think, oh, women, that, that goes for, for, for children as well. And, and, you know, girls that become pregnant as a result of rape or incest. Well, I want to first say thank you, Leslie, for sharing that personal story. And that is exactly why Planned Parenthood exists to make sure, you know, because we believe every single person deserves to have access to health care, regardless of their income or their zip code. Abortion is normal. Nearly one in four women will have an abortion in her lifetime. Abortion is health care. Birth control is health care. Uh, and no one should take the right to access that health care in a safe and legal way away from you, from your family, from anyone that you love. Um, but there are, yes, there are too many existing barriers that stand right now. And, and we can see that that will just get worse if we are not protecting our courts, um, winning elections, right? Uh, and making sure that reproductive health care and rights are, are a priority for those who serve and lead us. Uh, because that is what we don't want to happen. We don't want women to have to go into the shadows and we want to make sure that they have access to that safe and legal care that they need. Because like you said, abortions are still going to happen. It's just a matter of making sure that it's safe. Absolutely. More than a pleasure, Anisha, to have you with us and to be able to see you because normally when you fill in for me, I'm not here, obviously. <laughs> right. And uh, good to have you with us. I know uh, one of my buddies who does his show, um, uh, Brad Bannon here, has had you on the program. I'm glad to have you on and see you. And we definitely will have you on again. Anisha Singh is Director of Judiciary and Democracy Affairs at the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Please follow her on Twitter at Anisha underscore S113. That's A-N-I-S-H-A. Beautiful name, by the way. Underscore S is in Sam 113. Thank you for taking the time today. I hope you and your family are safe during this pandemic. And uh, I, I appreciate all that you do for we women uh, in healthcare, not just abortion and reproductive rights at Planned Parenthood. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leslie. Take care. Thank you. You too. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. 
add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit michiganlottery.com to add a little play to your day.